glad you're with us today. Today is a good day to be together, but someone has lost their wedding ring today out in the parking lot, and a man has lost their wedding ring. And so if you are looking for that, you can talk to me, and if no one claims it by 12 o'clock, I am going on vacation with it. So I'm not really going on vacation, but I might sell it for vacation, okay? No, just know that I have it if you need it. Today we're talking about bold faith. We have changed series, and some of you some of you didn't even know we were in a series. I realize we have guests, and some of you come every week and don't know we're in a series. I know how that goes. But we're changing today into a new series, and, and I don't know if it's interesting to you, but I'll kind of share how we're kind of moving. It was time to finish where we were on The Lord Is and to go into something new. And a friend of mine, back probably in early June, maybe in May, he wrote to me, does a lot of publishing, And he said, I would like you to write five devotionals for a book that I'm going to write, five one-page pieces. I would like you to write that out of Daniel and, and the men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that are in Daniel. I would like you to write that. This was all during texting. We were texting back and forth. I said, thank you. I would be honored. He writes back something like, thanks, Joe. And then the next text was, it was great to see you yesterday. Well, I'm thinking, oh, he didn't mean it for me. He meant it for somebody else. What do I do? I don't want to respond and embarrass him and then him say, no, really, I want you to write for me. So I just didn't say anything. So on July 11th, he writes to me and says, how are those devotionals going? They were due July 1st. And so I said, I will get them to you this weekend. So I got them all written a couple weeks ago, and so all is good, and I still don't know if I will have my name on them or somebody else's name. But I wrote about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three men in the Old Testament that we're going to look at in a little bit, and I want to talk about them for a couple of weeks. I don't want to say everything I said in those, in those little devotional talks, but a few things that I think will lead us into this new series of thinking about people that had bold faith both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And I realize in an audience like this, we have people that you, some have literally been faithful to God in this room this morning for, and online for more than 90 years. We also have people every Sunday that this is your first Sunday possibly ever to be in a church service. So we have folks from all different spans, and we want all of you to be here. Whether you're in person or online, we want you to be a part of us. But let me explain a little bit about Israel's history, the nation of Israel. They were considered God's chosen people. He wanted to create his nation. And just like you would imagine, he wanted his nation to be faithful to him. Unfortunately, over the years, they probably spent more years being unfaithful than faithful. And the Bible tells that story throughout the Old Testament about God wanting his people back and his people coming back for a little while and then going away again and it goes back and forth. Until finally there was a time that God's nation, Israel, got into a civil war. And so when it was all over, the largest part of that nation was still known as Israel. And then there was a small part of that nation that now would be known as Judah. And God loved both sides, but yet there was this terrible division between the two, and they are now two separate entities, and about 650 years before Jesus was born on earth, there was a calamity in Judah, because Babylon decided to take Judah over, 
and, and Babylon invaded Judah, what was part of Israel, God's people. And oh, it was terrible. If you were from Judah, it was an awful time in your history. The people, they were made into a puppet government that were to serve Babylon. Incidentally, Babylon in those days, what was considered Babylon, was modern-day Iraq and then that area that, sp that spreads out from there. It was considered, it and Egypt were considered the greatest empires in the world at the time. And so now Babylon would take Judah, and now, oh, life would be so difficult for those who called themselves Judahites or Israelites, followers of the God of the Bible, known as Yahweh. But also to understand this, as far as Babylon goes, Babylon is often used in English and our culture in this time to represent people against God or sinful society. Sometimes we'll talk about Babylon, and what we mean by Babylon is the world without God. There was a movie that came out last year called Babylon, starring Brad Pitt and several other people. If you're saying, I don't remember it, neither does anybody else. It didn't make any money. But we use that phrase, Babylon, to refer to things that are godless, without God, sometimes. But I want to take us back to this Babylon, this real physical country or empire, and what they were doing. They enslaved Judah's best young men. They thought if we can get Judah's best young men, we can really take the heart out of Judah as a nation, and we can make our nation greater. And so what they wanted to do, Babylon wanted to drain Judah financially and intellectually. You can imagine how they went to their coffers and they would take their gold and they would take their silver and they would use all that for the cause of Babylon, all that to make the palaces bigger, to make the weapons better, all of those things that even a modern-day country would do. But also what they did was they took the men that were the, considered the brightest and the best and they took them back to Babylon because they were going to basically take all the intelligence that they could, those that were the brightest, out of Judah, and use them for their own purpose in Babylon. I want you to see where the Bible picks up here in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, in verses 3 through 5, there's an odd name here in the beginning. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. Did you know that the Bible wrote about me? Did you realize that? So, sorry, y'all, just moan, that's okay. And to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of the time, they were to serve in the king's courts. Now, I want you to understand who these men are. These men are men who have been trained with privilege, probably with the best teachers, with the best tutors. They have been taught in, in, because they're of nobility. They have been taught because some are even from the king's family himself. 
And these men are considered the best looking when they walk into a room. Maybe the women look up and notice, and maybe the men start kind of getting up, trying to make their muscles look a little bigger because there's someone better looking than them in the room. When I was a kid, you know, they would push on your arm so it would make, you, make your arm fat come out and look like a muscle. You know what I'm talking about? You'd try to look a little bigger, a little stronger. Because when they walk in the room, these are the best-looking, most fit men that, from, from all of Judah. And they're also the ones that the teacher always calls on because they know all the answers. They are the ones that you want to have on your group chemistry project. They are the ones that know the answers. They're smart. But yet they have been taken out of Judah and into Babylon where, they are, where it is hoped that they will now work for the Babylonian empire rather than for Judah's empire. And notice the plan was to reprogram Israel or Judah's best minds to work for Babylon. For three years they had them study Babylonian culture and tradition and Babylonian ways. And so you can imagine what it's like for those men as now they go to class every day and they go to, to functions every day where now they're not in the way of Judah, but they are in the way of Babylon. And everything is so different from what it was back when they were at home. And then we get to Daniel chapter 1, verse 7. And Dan there are four men there that we often call Daniel. We know Daniel, the book is named after him, Daniel. And then we usually call these men Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which were going to be their Chaldean names, their Babylonian names. But I want you to see this verse. The chief official of Babylon gave them other names. He gave the name Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and, and Abednego to Azariah. Now that doesn't sound like that big a big of deal some of you have moved to another nation and you have a different name maybe that sounds like your name at at home and your language and you've changed because your name is difficult to understand in english or in a new culture when i lived in brazil instead of being called david usually i said i was davi sounds similar but just a little bit different even a tiny bit different of a spelling that's not doesn't seem that unusual except it is because of what was happening here. Babylon was wanting to change the identity of these men. They are forcing these men, or trying to force these men to completely change the identity of who they are. Wow, that sounds kind of scary, doesn't it, when you think about this? Three years of study, now a different name. And so when we think about names, you know, when you were... When you had children, if you have, have children, you probably thought for a long time, what is a great name? What sounds good for a name? If you wanted your, your son to be a football player, you might have named him with some strong name like Rocky or something that sounded strong and tough. And maybe it was something that just went together. It went with your last name and it all sounded nice. But in ancient cultures... In cultures like in Judah, in Israel, in Babylon, and other ancient cultures, you were not named just a nice little word or phrase that went with your name, or, or phrase or, or, excuse me, word or, or title that went with your name. You were named a phrase. 
literally a phrase named you. And so it wasn't, my mother probably would not have named me David. She would have named me, go clean up your room. That would have been more like my name she would have wanted. Because you were always testifying or saying something by your name. So in these names, for example, of people that we see in the Bible are, fra- are Hebrew phrases that are, being, that are being written down and repeated. So you get to Daniel. His Jewish name is Daniel, which means God is my judge. God is my judge. But his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, that's a long name, isn't it? Shazam, right? Belteshazzar means favored by Bel. And so Bel was considered, some of you who have studied some other gods, was the equivalent of Marduk. Some of you have heard of Marduk before. This is the god of fertility. This is the god of the crops. This is the god of things that are created rather than the one true god, Yahweh. So when Daniel is back in Judah, people are saying when they call Daniel over, it's not just, hey, Daniel, come here. It is God God is my judge. Please come here. Now what they'll be saying is, hey, favored by Bel, favored by the fertility god, you come to me. And so then we get to Hananiah, his Jewish name means beloved by the Lord. And so his mother would call, come to me, beloved by the Lord. But now he will have a Babylonian name, (coughs) excuse me, of Shadrach, which means illuminated by Rach, or probably it would be more like Rach, but we'll just call it Rach and be Texan here. He's, He's illuminated by the sun god. Where does he get his intelligence Where does he get his good looks? Not from Yahweh God, like the Bible would teach, but instead they would say that he gets his intelligence and his good looks from the sun God, from a created thing. Now when his name is called, something that is actually false is said rather than what is truth. So the Jewish name is Mishael. Who is like God? Not that not like a question that, that, that we don't know, but this man is like God. Who is like God? And remembering our God, but his Babylonian name, Meshach. Who is like Shaq? Not like the basketball player, but who is like Shaq, which was the equivalent of Venus. Venus was considered a god. So now all of these things are different until finally the last one we get to, to Azariah. Azariah means the Lord is my hope, or is my help. What a great name to be known as Lord is my help. But now Azariah will be known as Abednego, which means servant of Nigo, the fire god. Servant of the fire god. Now this false teaching, this false doctrine will be repeated every time someone calls their name. Not today, but next week we will talk about them in the, fire, in the furnace of fire. And when we talk about that, what's interesting is Abednego will not be burned up in the furnace of fire, which actually the fire god would have supposedly been in charge of, but Abednego and the others will survive all of that and thrive in the midst of that. So God was intent on one thing, and Babylon was intent on something else. Now you say, well, okay, nice trivia, we can have this, what does it matter? I want you to understand that these men lived in the culture 
but they were not consumed by the culture. They lived in it, but they didn't let it consume them. In some ways, my job is pretty easy compared to yours. Every person in my office is a Christian. Isn't that incredible? Every one of them. Because obviously I work here. You guys are not smiling or laughing today at all. It's, you're very serious-minded today. So I'd cut out the jokes, but I don't know when I'm telling a joke and when I'm not. So here it's a nice place. I mean, you don't hear bad language here. I mean, and at least not by the, by the ministers, at least, or the, the other folks that work here. And, 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 you know, it's a good place to work. I still live in the world. I still live in the culture. I still have Facebook and Instagram and those things. So I understand a little bit. But some of you, you are in offices that are awful. You are in work crews that are terrible where there is no one that ever talks about God unless they are taking his name in vain. Some of you work in places that are so incredibly difficult. I mean, it's hard to just, it's hard to come today because everyone who lives in your house is against God whether they say it or not. And you know what it's like to live in a godless Babylonian culture. These men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, lived in a godless culture. But yet, they decided it will not consume us. We will stay faithful to God, even with all this that is around us. They made up their minds. So in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief official not to defile himself. I want you to see now what they did was they decided to only eat vegetables, in this case in, in chapter 1, and all the others ate other food, and they found out that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the healthiest of all after what their diet was compared to the others. But what I want you to see here that's important is what Daniel did. He determined that he would not defile himself. Now, he's trying to get along here. So he's going to ask, is it okay if I don't defile myself? But if the king would have said, no, you have to defile yourself. You know, if you know the rest of Daniel, he would have said, sorry, I would rather die than defile myself. I'm not going to do that. You make up your mind of what you will do and what you will not do early. So he would not defile himself. So this, this is where all this comes together today. How do I survive a godless culture that wants to swallow me? Some of you this morning may feel like you're about to be swallowed up. You're here on Sunday morning. You may even be here on Wednesday night or Sunday night or in a small group, but you feel alone. You feel like you are going down for the count. And I've shared this story a thousand times, but those I, that time that I spent two weeks in Chicago by myself downtown and with no one around, the only people I talked to were, were, were waiters in restaurants, literally. With everything I heard, I thought, well, I could do whatever I wanted to do. Nobody would know anything. I could give in to anything. No one would know. Now, I didn't do any of those things, but I realized it was possible to do right there. Some of you may feel that all around you, and you may have urges telling you that that would be the best thing for you to do. Some of us come to church and think, well, at least I'm going to do that. And somehow you walk in, you walk out, and no one even says anything. 
And you think, well, I went, nobody cared about me. Why don't I just go that way and go away from God? And unfortunately, people have done that many, many, many times. So how do I protect myself from this godless culture that wants to eat me up? Comes to us in every way, doesn't it? Sometimes we talk about education of children and we worry about things. Well, think about education of adults as well, right? Think about what comes through our phones, what's on television, what's in movies, what's everywhere around us, the conversation with friends, the things that we see. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's not just in one little pocket of the world. It's all over. So what can I do? First of all, study the truth. Know the truth. You don't have to study all the false things in the world to know the truth. If you study the truth and know the truth, then you won't have doubts. When you see other things, you'll know what's false because you will know the truth. Study God's word. Know his word. Know what it says. And sometimes people say to me, I don't have any idea where to start. Where would I start? The Bible's a big book. I tried to start. I got lost in it. I don't know where to start. Turn to your New Testament, not right now, but turn to your New Testament. When you get home, if you want to know where to start, or look on your phone, and look at the, this is just what I recommend. Go to the book of Luke in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke. Read it all the way to the end. It'll take you like maybe an hour and a half to read it. Then after you read Luke, read the book called Acts. Because it's a two-volume set written by the same author to the same person, tells the life of Jesus until he dies and is resurrected, and then tells the first first several couple of decades of the church and, and what happened after he died. Read Luke, read Acts, and you will start seeing Jesus in ways that you hadn't before. You'll start understanding things you hadn't. Well, what do I do when I finish that? Well, first thing I'd say is go back and read it again. And maybe again and again and again, read Luke and Acts. And then you can, you can venture out into other things. But understand that really well, the life of Jesus... And in those early days, and then move on and start getting other things. Now, you may have another idea, and your idea will be great too. But this is where I would go. Study the truth. Know Jesus. Know what God has for us. Here's another one. Remember who I am. Some of you had parents who would say this to you, right? Before you would go out on Friday night, or you would leave the house. Don't forget you are a Duncan. Don't forget who you are. You are, you are a part of this family. Remember, you are a follower of Jesus. You are a disciple of Jesus. You are most loved. You are chosen by God. Remember who you are. And remember, that goes right along with that, who I serve. Remember that I serve God. I serve his son, Jesus. And if it's not serving them and the things I'm tempted to do, then why would I bother? Why would I be a part of that? I, I remember or should remember who I serve. Now, this is one that Daniel did. This is important for all of us. Set my boundaries early. If I wait until I'm in the midst of the crisis or the temptation, it will be very difficult to set the boundaries. So, for example, one thing they tell you, if you have trouble with food, you go to the grocery store, you make your list before you go, and you don't buy anything extra, right? This may be the truth as well. If you are going to the mall and you're going to go shopping, decide how much you're going to spend before you go and don't go over that number. It's also a really great thing if you are dating. 
Decide your boundaries before you go on the date. Don't wait until, and, until you don't know when the other person doesn't know. Set your boundaries early. Daniel set his boundaries as to what he would do, what he was willing to do, and what he was not willing to do. I will not pass that. I will not eat that food. I will not do that. This is who I am because I remember who I am and I remember whose I am, that I belong to God. And then focus on the prize. Focus on Jesus. In the book of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us to not take our eyes off Jesus. Put our eyes on him and remember that is what this is about. This is not about me making more money. This is not about me having a great trip. This is not about me having, having, a, having a relationship with someone. This is about Jesus. Now, all these things may come. You may make money. You may have great relationships. All those things. You may have a great job. All those things may come. But life is about Jesus and focusing on him and honoring him. So we focus on the prize that someday we will be with him forever. We don't give in because those boundaries have been set. We live in Babylon, right? And so therefore we have to know how to survive Babylon because Babylon will want to destroy us. So here's my question for you this morning. Will I stand up for my faith? Will I stand up? I've got to decide before I get into the mess that yes, I will. I have to decide that I am going to stand up and say, I believe in Jesus, and I will not back down from that. This morning at early service during the Lord's Supper, Jake Hicks told a story about when he was in the military in, in Iraq, in modern-day Babylon. And he told the story, or ancient Babylon, excuse me, was there, and he told a story about how they were going over to talk in a, to a village of some people who had been attacking American soldiers, this village had, and, and they go up to meet the head of the village, the imam and, and, and a sheikh, and he said, and, and the imam said to him, are you, are you a follower of Christ? Now, can you imagine that for just a moment as you're having this question with him along with some other soldiers? Are you a follower of Christ? You might think if I say no, they will quit, they will quit shooting at us. And he said, we all looked at each other and said, yes, we are. And the man said to him, to him, we respect you, we will work with you. There is something about standing up for our faith. There will be times that people forget about us, there will be times that we are ridiculed, but there will be also times that shock us when people say, if nothing else, I respect you, and possibly even I want to join you. Well, I stand up for Jesus. Can you imagine what it would have been like in that last week as Jesus was in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of the Jewish teachers and, and, and government, if Jesus would have said, I'm done with this? Can you imagine what it would have been like when he was in front of Pilate and they were taking him out to beat him if Jesus would have said, nope, I've had enough. I'm done with this. Can you imagine what it would have been like at the cross if Jesus would have said, don't put in those nails, I'm done. Jesus never did that. He stood up for what was right. 
He stood up for us. He stood up for his father. He did what was right. And today what we're asked to do is to stand up for what is right. To stand up for Jesus. This morning, maybe you're ready to be baptized, just like those we heard about from Sean today, that have been baptized into Jesus. Several people have been this year. What a wonderful thing. Jesus forgives. And he gives grace. No doubt that some of us have not stood up when we should have, but Jesus gives grace. He'll forgive our sins. We'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in baptism. We will receive hope and help, and we'll receive what we need. And maybe you're there today and you need that, and we want to help you with that. You can be baptized today. But others of us, maybe you need to write to, to elders at mcoc.org and say, I need help. I need, I'm struggling. Help me. Pray for me. Or maybe you need the prayers of everyone. Come this morning as we stand and sing.